0: it's the podcast with the cheek the nerve the gall the audacity and the gumption yes it's on the ledge Welcome to the show. It's episode 171 and I make no apologies for channeling tastes from RuPaul's Drag Race UK this week because that queen is giving me life. In this week's show, we talk about humidity. Is it moist in here or is it just me? And we hear from listener Tegan in Meet the Listener. A clutch of lovely messages has greeted me this week, so thank you for all of you who've been in touch, including Angela, who wrote me a lovely message about Sansevieria Bantel's Sensation and where she managed to track one down in the UK. I have now got one, but thank you for your kind offer, Angela. New Patreon subscriber Muffy in Singapore got in touch to say how much she's enjoying the show. And in particular, how useful she found the A to Z of potting mix ingredients episodes. So thanks for that, Muffy. And one of my OG patrons, Anthony, got in touch from the US and his lovely long email was full of good ideas for the show and also plenty of encouragement. And he ended his email. Your enthusiasm for the topic never seems to wane. And your ability to help us, especially those of us in the not so United States, work through the horrible things we do to each other is life changing and heroic. I don't feel heroic, I have to say. I just feel like a slightly harassed mum trying to hold it all together amid amid troubling times. But grateful also that uh, I have my health, a job and a lovely family and a lovely dog. So, I take those words on board and I've looked slowly learning in my uh, mid to late 40s that I need to accept praise rather than rebuffing it. So I will just say thank you, Anthony, and I appreciate your message. Two reminders. Houseplant Hour happens every Tuesday at 9 p.m. GMT. That's 4 p.m. EDT. Work out your own time zone from there on the wonderful platform that is Twitter. Did I say that already? (laughs) At Houseplant Hour is the account I use for that. So do check it out. Come and join us. It's just a chance to tweet about plants, ask questions, show off, commiserate and so on. It's a wonderful, it's a kind of a Twitter version of On The Ledge. So do come and check it out if you are on that platform. I'm also running a competition with Kira Long, the illustrator who did my last Patreon card not this Christmas just gone, but the Christmas before, we're running a joint competition to win one of her wonderful personalised illustrations. That's the first prize. And the second prize is a houseplant print. It's open to anyone across the world. So do go and look at my Instagram at j.l.perone to enter. You've got until the 31st, January the 31st, 2021 to enter. So good luck with that. Thank you to Tito from the Netherlands who got in touch to show off his wonderful botanical throne and thank me for making the show. Tito suffered from the terrible super typhoon that hit the Philippines at the I think it was the end of last year and is still recovering from that. So extra good plant vibes to you, Tito, and glad to hear that the show is getting you through all of your domestic tasks and making them pass that much quicker. Two reviews to note this week. Sideria from the Netherlands wrote a lovely review on Apple. Uh, what is it called now? Apple Apple Podcasts is it is it called Apple Podcasts or iTunes? Whatever the heck it's called. And um, Lucy left a lovely review on Podbean. So thank you to you two, and a quick shout out to my new plant. Patrons this week, Colin became a crazy plant person, Judy Muffy, the aforementioned Muffy, Sarah and Gina all became legends, and San Francisco Plant Daddy became a super fan. Thank you to all of you. And coming up about halfway through the show, you'll hear a short trailer for a new podcast called Flora Funga. Sound interesting? Do listen out for that. Does that sound familiar? Well, it probably does if you grow any plants. It's the sound of a mister. But does this oft quoted cure for dry air actually work to raise humidity? That's one of the things we'll be finding out in this week's show with the help of a couple of extra guests. So, humidity just means how much water vapour is there in the air, how many water droplets are there and you might have heard of absolute humidity that just means the amount literally the amount of water in the air measured either by grams per cubic meter or grams per kilogram but this doesn't tell us the whole story and that's where relative humidity comes in and this is the number that you get as a percentage and it tells us the degree to which the air is saturated with water in other words if relative humidity is 100 percent. That means that the air is completely saturated with water vapor, as much water vapor as there could be at that temperature. And those last three words are really key because colder air holds less water than warmer air. So I hope that makes sense. I mean, basically, what you need to know is if you have the same amount of water in a very hot room, relative humidity will be lower than if you are in a cold room. And what's the usual relative humidity of our homes? Well, it does vary. It depends what kind of climate you're living in, what kind of heating and cooling mechanisms you've got. But usually you'd find it roughly around the 40 to 50 percent mark. And of course, the million dollar question is how much humidity does the average houseplant need? Well, it's hard to generalise, but generally somewhere between 40 to 60 percent is fine for an awful lot of plants. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind that's the reason why these plants have lasted so long as houseplants, just because they can cope with the conditions in our homes. And the test is usually just feeling those plant leaves if they are thinner than a piece of very fine tissue paper, then that's probably a plant that needs high humidity. We're thinking maiden hair fern and some of those members of the Maranta group here. And the thicker you go on the leaf, then the less they are going to be worried about humidity because they've got a waxy cuticle and that avoids the plant losing too much water to that dry air. It's worth remembering the reason why plants need humidity in the first place is because they have these pores in their surface of the leaf, those stomata as they're called. And when the air around them is dry, that means they tend to lose moisture out of those pores So relative humidity is one of the factors that affects what's called transpiration. This process of moisture being lost through the stomata is just one of the factors that can impact it, though. Other factors include things like light and temperature. So that's the basics on humidity. But what can we do to increase humidity for those plants that need it? Kevin Espiritu of the podcast Epic Gardening joined me to discuss some of these finer points. Kevin, thank you very much for joining me. Today we're talking about humidity and this is something that I get a lot of questions about. The first question I have for you is, do you mist your plants purely to boost humidity or is this one of these things that, like me, you deem this a task that's too much of a hassle uh, for the benefit that it brings? (laughs)
1: I actually don't know where misting came from as far as a, a popular practice. I never really did it. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense. I just thought, okay, well, if you mist your plants, there's some water on the leaves. They, the water will evaporate. It will raise the local humidity right around the plant. I guess that's the logic. But if you look at the studies, it really doesn't do much of anything at all. Although I know a lot of people will do it. They find it like a peaceful activity for their houseplants. Nothing wrong with that. But as far as raising humidity, it, it doesn't do much. And so... I don't know about you but I'm I'm here to care for my plants in a kind of low maintenance way and doing something that doesn't really achieve the goal that i want to achieve doesn't really fit into that so i don't miss them
0: me too and i've just find that i'm really rubbish at aiming the mister and i end up getting it on the floor on the sofa (laughs) it doesn't actually go on the plants anyway unless i take them to i mean the only time i really missed is if i'm spraying on some kind of you know um fatty soap spray to deal with a pest really it's not really ever just for water but um yeah i just and i uh, also finding a, a mister that actually works and you know the best mister that i have is an old, um, like cleaning fluid bottle, spray bottle that I just literally washed out about three times. That's the best mister I've ever had. All these fancy ones that you buy from fancy places always seize up after about five minutes. So that's my top tip to anyone who does want to use a mister, but, uh, yeah, they're not particularly, uh, don't go for the high end ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, they have, there's a whole like little sub market of these sort of fancy or, or, bougie uh, misters i guess and it's just it's an interesting little phenomenon
0: yeah but i guess that 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 people um like to buy plant uh, accessories which is fair enough i mean i don't know how humid it is where you are on the west coast do you need to boost humidity in your house or is it not really too much of a problem
1: it's not that big a deal i think i sit somewhere around 40 to 50 percent just naturally so it's not really that bad uh, but I do have a humidifier. And then another way that I naturally boost humidity is I just, I mean, m- most of my houseplants, I have a really small house now. And so most of my houseplants are in one area of the house and they're kind of grouped together. And that actually will increase the local humidity around that area. So, you know, you've got all that soil, that soil is moist, it's evaporating, the plants are transpiring, transpiring, and, and you've you've got a little bit of a higher humidity level in that area.
0: One plant specimen plant on its own is the one that's gonna be most vulnerable uh, if it's on its own in a room, isn't it? Cause it just doesn't have its buddies alongside to uh, create that microclimate. What are your feelings about humidifiers generally? I haven't bought one because I just kind of feel like it's another thing that I have to worry about, clean, fill and fiddle about with.
1: Yeah, I, I would say for the average house plant owner, probably not necessary. Um, but as soon as you get into having tons of them, or maybe you've invested money in some f- very fancy houseplants that you really want to give their most optimal environment, then I think it would make sense. And it, I mean, a humidifier isn't too expensive. I think they're all under about a hundred dollars, unless you go for a really big one or a really fancy one. But I would say, yeah, for the average houseplant owner, not really, not really necessary. Most of the time, the humidity in the house is adequate. Adequate, Maybe not optimal, but it's at least adequate. The plants will do okay.
2: Hello. Who's ready to get down and nerdy? I'm Caitlin Keen, a plant biologist with a thirst for mycology. If you're into science and other interesting biology topics, listen to my new podcast, Flora Funga Podcast, releasing February 10th, where I dive into topics like how plants and fungi communicate with each other. I also cover how mushrooms can help save the world by breaking down plastics and radiation. Did you know that the smell of fresh cut grass is actually the plant screaming for help? Terrifying. Or that plants carry the same disease genes that humans do? What? Learn more fun tidbits like these by subscribing to Flora Funga Podcast. I'll be releasing new episodes every other week. Check the show notes to find the link to my website, florafungapodcast.com. I can't wait to learn and grow with you. Hope to see you soon. Have a great week, my scientists, and go learn something new today. I
0: hope you're looking forward to listening to that new podcast as much as I am. But back to humidity. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, well, yes, it's all very well saying I don't need a humidifier, Kevin and Jane, but actually I have a lot of plants and I really need a humidifier. You see? I know your thoughts before you even think them, listeners. So what kind of humidifiers are there and which one is the right one for you? Cool mist? Warm mist? What's the difference? I have no idea. Good job. I have Jonathan Jerry on hand to provide an explanation. Over to Jonathan to introduce himself.
3: My name is Jonathan Jerry. I'm a science communicator with the McGill Office for Science and Society in Montreal, Canada.
0: I'm a bit confused. I don't have a humidifier um, because my house is old and damp, so it kind of is a natural humidifier. But I hear from loads of listeners, particularly people living in apartments where the air is very, very dry, saying they desperately want one to help with their plants. But I hear some horror stories about maintenance, cleaning, refilling them, not really working it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? This area of humidifiers, it seems to me.
3: There are lots of claims that are being made, health claims about uh, what humidifiers can do to improve your your health as a human being. Uh, and and a lot of them are unfounded. There's just no good evidence behind them. But it is true that, you know, I, and I, I experience it every winter, the air gets very, very dry because cold air mm. can retain uh, water vapor much less so than warm air. And so it, it can be very uncomfortable. And, and using a humidifier, can certainly make uh, the air that we breathe more comfortable but there seems to be a trade-off in terms of safety potentially at least
0: and you can't just buy one of these things and expect it just to run endlessly without your input you've got to refill the thing you've got to well in some cases you seem to have to do quite extensive cleaning of the humidifier regularly can you just run us through there's there seems to be two two main types the the cool mist and the warm mist. There may be other ones that I haven't come across, but how do they actually add moisture to the air? What are they doing to to do that?
3: So warm mist humidifiers are the, these very kind of old-school uh, sort of tea kettle-like uh, humidifiers. They just boil liquid water in a reservoir, and they turn it into water vapor uh, very, very slowly. Uh, and so the, the mist that they emit is is very warm, as as you would expect from from a tea kettle, for example. Um, and there are concerns about that. For example, if you have young children, they could, you know, injure themselves by getting directly in front of, you know, this very, very warm uh, jet of, of water vapor. Um, and then there's the, the another issue issues with bacteria which is that there you are you have a reservoir filled with water and if you don't clean this regularly uh, you could get bacterial growth uh, in there and this was actually tested by uh, consumer reports which is an american uh, sort of consumer information advocacy uh, organization and they tested a number of these warm mishumidifiers and when bacteria were present in the tank either because they had not cleaned it in three days or because they were they were actually adding bacteria in the tank to test this they found that almost all all of these uh, warmest humidifiers, they did emit bacteria into the air. And so that's something to keep in mind. Now, these bacteria may not cause any actual disease, but they could make a pre-existing allergy or, or asthma worse. So that's one kind of humidifier. And then there are the mist the humidifiers, but there are different technologies here at play. There are two main ones that I could find. There are those that use a a very thick paper wick. It almost looks like an accordion. Uh, So these are the wick-based humidifiers. And so essentially, the water from the reservoir goes onto this wick, which has a very large surface area. And it creates these little water droplets that then get pushed out using a fan. And so that's why these these types of models can be very noisy. And this wick filter has to be replaced uh, every few months because uh, mold can accumulate on it. Uh, And then the third one is, a very common one it's one that i had myself it's called an ultrasonic humidifier and it sounds like the perfect humidifier uh, because the mist that it generates is very uh, cool Um, it it doesn't use a lot of electricity which is good for your your electricity bill Um, and there's just a small vibrating bit in the water tank and it it turns uh, liquid water into a vapor so it's quiet it's safe it's efficient or so it seems um, but the issue uh, that has come to the forefront uh, recently, especially, is that if you have one of those ultrasonic humidifiers, you may have noticed that there's there's this white mist, this dust uh, that is that ends up covering your furniture around the humidifier. I've noticed this myself. And so the question is, well, what is this thing? And uh, what is happening is that the water that you put in the reservoir, uh, if you're using tap water, it contains You know, certain minerals and certain ions, things like calcium and magnesium and sulfate. There are less common substances like lead and manganese and arsenic and copper. And these minerals, they get turned into aerosols, into little particles that float in the air by these ultrasonic humidifiers and we breathe them in. Now, if you have a warmest humidifier, that doesn't really happen quite to that level because the water gets boiled and the minerals get left behind uh, inside the machine. That's why you have to remove like the calcium deposits on the, on the heating element. But uh, with these, these uh, ultrasonic humidifiers, uh, they do generate a lot of these particulate matters. And the thing is that as far as we know, these minerals are safe to breathe in But we don't really have long-term data on breathing this stuff, you know, day after day for years on end. Uh, And so that has been my concern when I looked into this myself. I'm not a a humidifier scientist, uh, but I looked into this um, to to communicate about this to the public because that was one of the questions that was raised. And I have now put aside my ultrasonic humidifier and I don't use it anymore, not because I know that it is bad for my health, but just because there's this big question mark and I just don't know what it really is doing to the air quality. Uh, that I'm breathing in every night
0: would one solution to that be to use distilled water that you I mean I guess that's adding to the cost but would that be one solution that if you use distilled water presumably you wouldn't get that kind of outcome
3: absolutely so uh, some humidifiers do have demineralization cartridges built in and so if you're willing to uh, fork over the money uh, that will take care of the issue in theory uh, but as you mentioned otherwise yeah sure you can buy distilled water because that is what distilled water is it's water that that's been evaporated and has left all those minerals behind uh, and then it goes back to to a liquid form but the thing is you know, i did a little back of the envelope calculation uh, with my own uh, personal humidifier which has a 3.5 liter tank and this means that i would have to buy almost 25 liters of distilled water every week for it to run every night and uh, this is a lot of money this is about six british pounds uh, a week And you have to take into account, you know, the plastic containers that you're generating, you have to purchase them, you have to transport them, you have to to dispose of them. Uh, So it is, it will take care of this particulate matter issue, which again, may or may not affect our health. Uh, But it is, um, it's quite, uh, quite the thing to go about it and sort of buy 25 liters of distilled water every week uh, throughout the winter to run your personal humidifier.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of water to lug around and the expense is obviously considerable. So that's, that's really interesting. And I guess from my point of view, I'm, my other issue, I guess, with humidifiers is just that it's another device, electric device to have in my house that's, you know, uh, and I guess less so with the uh, ultrasonic one, but with the other, the other types adding to my electricity bill which you know here in the UK we we pay a lot for power anyway and it's just another thing to it's another piece of chunk of plastic in my house so I kind of resist resisted on that level and it does seem like from what you've been saying that it's not a straightforward win for you or your house plants to to have one of these devices I guess This is all good in that presumably the humidifier industry will be ever refining and trying to make a better product as a result of, uh, you know, people discovering that, you know, current, current models are not necessarily delivering everything that they need to deliver.
3: I, I certainly hope so. I mean, um, you know, again, if if, if somebody really needs, a, if if I were to, to say, you know, the air that I'm breathing in is, is just too harsh and I need to humidify my apartment, I would probably buy a warm mist humidifier because, again, the, the particulate matters that are released are quite low compared to an ultrasonic model, but I would clean it after every use. And there are ways where you can use vinegar to clean the base. You can use a very, very mild bleach solution to disinfect uh, the water tank or even even dish soap. Um, And I would do this regularly. And I I didn't used to because, you know, you just... You just look at this piece of piece of machine. You're like, I don't want to add to my routine. I don't want to have to do more things. You know, to I'll just leave it. It should be fine. We don't think about it because we don't really see uh, what these things are are really emitting. Uh, so these these very old school warm humidifiers, they seem to be fine. And the other thing is that these, uh, the, the ones that use the WIC, the WIC-based uh, cool mist humidifiers, um, you know, I couldn't find a lot of information on them. I couldn't find a lot of information about, about what they emit. So they could be uh, much safer than the, uh, than the ultrasonic ones. But again, there's just a lack of data. And now scientists have access to uh, these very uh, nifty particulate matter detectors, and they're now able to do these studies where they're, they're putting a humidifier in a room and they are measuring the air quality very, very precisely uh, throughout the night uh, so that they can see what is happening. And so hopefully with this data... And perhaps even with a, with a bit of uh, consumer, uh, you know, advocacy and, and asking the right questions out of these manufacturers, we can indeed arrive at machines that uh, are making the air, uh, you know, e- easier to breathe, uh, while also uh, making sure that they are uh, good for our health.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering it, here in the UK, where most of most people have. I think in Canada, oftentimes your, your heating is like warm air, isn't it? Coming through a vent. Whereas in the UK, we have these things called radiators, which right. I mean, I guess you, you know what a radiator is, right? So, so it's a, it's a, connected to the boiler. Hot water goes through it. It heats up. And the real old school way of uh, adding humidity to the air is little containers of water that fit on that radiator. And every time the radiator heats up, the water heats up and evaporates. I really want to give one of those a try. I'm going to do some experimenting and see how much they impact humidity because i'm thinking that's got to be a good low file if it does work a good low file alternative because that's easy to keep clean it's not causing any electricity but i'm not sure yet whether it'll actually <laughs> increase the humidity in the room so i'll report back on that but um it's, that's the old school solution here to the problem. It, it
3: is. And you can buy a hygrometer, which measures humidity, humidity uh, quite, quite cheaply. And you can just measure it to see if, if indeed this, this method is effective enough, if you have enough water that gets, uh, that gets uh, boiled and, and evaporated to make a difference in your uh, living area. But again, I would say, you know, at the, at the end of every day, uh, you want to make sure that you, you thoroughly clean the, uh, the, the, the receptacle for the water, because otherwise bacteria will grow and you will be breathing those in.
0: That is fantastic, Jonathan. Thanks for joining me today. And um, I'm, I'm realising that uh, yeah, but many listeners have probably got some cleaning to go and do now <laughs> as a result of listening to this interview. Thank you very much. Thank you much. for having me. So you're all on tenterhooks now, wondering whether I tried those radiator-mounted water vessels to increase humidity. Well, it's a mixed story, I'm afraid, listeners – I did give them a try and I'll put a picture of them in the show notes and also a link to the site I bought them from. They're just metal tubes, really, with hooks on the end that you hook over the radiator. Potential downsides if you have bouncy children or dogs are them being knocked and the water spilling. But then it depends how much you fill them up. I put my hygrometer, which has... Jonathan said is a really useful thing to have around because you may find that if you get your humidity uh, assessed by testing the humidity in each room, that actually you don't need um, more humidity in the first place. But once you know that humidity is too low, then you can test these various different devices and the effect they're having. So I put the water chambers on the radiator. Usually, uh, this was in my front room, usually humidity there in the last few days before they went in, humidity was around 49%. Well, after the chambers went onto the radiator, well, humidity went up by about 5% in the area of the radiator, lower in the rest of the room. In other words, it didn't have a massive effect, but it did have some effect. So if you're looking for a localised boost for your air humidity for plants and you happen to have some radiators close by a group of plants, this could be an option for you. It depends whether you want to fight the level of humidity you naturally have or adapt your plant choices to the humidity that you can offer. And I'm firmly in the camp of the latter. And of course, the most easy ways to provide the microclimate that most plants enjoy is just by grouping them together. No extra work required. My next experiment, well I'm going to try in the coming weeks testing a pebble tray option versus a plant without a pebble tray and I will report back on my findings on that front too. Because i know this is one of the techniques i'm often spouting off about as a way of increasing humidity but i've never actually done the tests to find out if it make much difference so stay tuned for more experiment results in the coming week so it's over to you i'd love to know what humidifier you use if you use one at all if you've got any other cunning ways of increasing humidity in your house or if you've got any thoughts on humidifier cleaning routines or anything else you know the address on the ledge podcast at gmail.com and you can also check out the show notes for links to Jonathan's article about humidifiers more on what relative humidity is and so on and so forth right before I get a case of the vapors let's move on to meet the listener
4: My name is Tegan. I live in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, and I love plants. I started listening to the On The Ledge podcast during some home renovations, and now I listen to it while I'm working on setting up my greenhouse cabinet. My journey with plants started when my husband and I bought ourselves a townhouse, and I started looking at how we were going to decorate it. Since then, I've become kind of a plant hoarder and channel my hoarding tendencies into plants and things related to them. I never thought that I would be a plant person, especially because I'm not particularly impressed by flowers, but I started to see the foliage and the leaves and being an art teacher, there was no way that those patterns and textures wouldn't eventually win me over and draw me in. My collection is growing all the time and I'm starting to bring in some more rare plants as well as some specific varieties that I've been looking for. uh, And I'm just loving watching it grow. Checking over all my plants and attending to their needs is definitely my favourite way to relax and unwind after a day at school.
0: Question one. You've been selected to travel to Mars as part of the first human colony on the Red Planet. There's only room for one houseplant from your collection on board. Which plant do you choose?
4: If I could only choose one plant to take, it would be my Calathea Musaica. I really love the design and the patterns on that plant and it was really hard for me to track down where I'm located. So um, yeah, I would definitely take that one and probably spend a lot of time staring at those leaves.
0: Question two,
4: what is your
0: favourite episode of On the Ledge?
4: I'm still catching up on a lot of the episodes of the podcast, but I think my favourite so far would be episode 41, the Maranta episode. I love all those plants, and I really enjoyed learning what's more about them, and I'll be listening to it again soon to make sure that I keep track of all of that information. Question three. Which Latin name do you say to impress people? I wish I could answer this question in a few weeks. I've just asked the Latin teacher at my school to help me with my botanical Latin. But I think at the moment, the one I'm most proud of is Tenanthi, because it doesn't sound like what I would expect it to. And it took me a while to figure that one out.
0: Question four, crassulation acid metabolism or gartation?
4: Listen to the episode on crassulation acid metabolism and gartation, so I feel equipped to answer this question. And I also have a suggestion for an additional process we can add to it. But I would pick gartation. I really actually really enjoy this process. My Yucatan princess does it regularly, and I think it looks really, really beautiful. She's also located in a place where the water isn't a problem, so I can just enjoy how it looks and make sure that she's looking healthy. Now, I suggest that we add diurnal rhythm to the question that calatheas and those sorts of maranta plants do. I think that would be an interesting thing that relates to the same kind of concept.
0: Question five. Would you rather spend £200 on a variegated Monstera or £200 on 20 interesting cacti?
4: As you can probably tell, I really like the foliage plants with really luscious leaves, so I would definitely pick the Monstera. I just love the texture of foliage and big leaves and everything, so I would love to have something like that to admire and enjoy, even though I do find cacti really cool as well.
0: Thank you, Tegan. And if you would like to be featured on On The Ledge, drop a line to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com and my assistant Kelly will be in touch to fill you in on the details. Before I go, let's just catch up on the On The Ledge Sew Along. It's been great to see so many of you starting to buy and sow your seeds. If you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, do check out the OTL Sew Along hashtag and last week's show, episode 170, for more information about what this means. It's basically our opportunity to go nuts with seeds and get lots of houseplants for very little money. That's the key. And it's been great to see so many of you getting involved already. Grizzly Grove on Instagram has been showing off some lovely little Drosera seedlings, which were chucked in some sphagnum moss last autumn to see if they germinate. And they did. They're so cute and so tiny. Thanks for sharing, Grizzly Grove. Botanical Bachelor on Instagram has had successful germination of Hoya incrassata seed. Ooh, that sounds interesting and they look great. Keep us posted on that Botanical Bachelor. And Pradoji has posted pictures of a wonderful cyclamen persican grown from her own plant seed pod last year, which is just so adorable and bright pink flowers to boot. So well, that's great. That's what happens when you do this so along. you get some wonderful, wonderful plants. And Pradoji writes, I think everyone should be try growing something from seeds. It's such a fulfilling life experience with the bonus of getting amazing little results to share with friends. Amen to that. And Jen Plants 2 in Minnesota has been sharing pictures of the Lapidaria grown for the 2019 so along. They're doing lovely, Jen. That's brilliant. So it just shows you you can end up with some wonderful plants as a result of your efforts. And lots of you are also sharing your exploits on the Houseplant Fans of On The Ledge Facebook group. Do remember to edit your post and add OTL sew along as a topic. You just press the three dots in the top right hand corner to do that. Molly has some exciting deliveries from Chilton Seed. She's growing Stephanotis, Coffea, Arabica, Ionium and more. My assistant Kelly is looking for some good sources of coleus seeds in the UK and... Tate's been sharing some 2020 success stories, including Pseudoripsalis ramulosa and Dioscoria elephantipes. Both wonderful plants. Well done, Tate. So I hope that's whetted your appetite and got you enthused about the sew Long. If you weren't before, I'm going to be answering on the ledge sew along questions in an episode coming to your ears very soon. So if you've got any questions, please let me know. Happy to try to help with any seed related topics. That's it for this week. I will be back next Friday. So have as good a week as you can and go forth and propagate. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, Chiefs by Jazar, and After the Flames by Josh Woodward. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit janeperone.com for details.